scripture this morning comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to chapter 4, verse 7. And uh, this is what it says. Uh, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, uh, you are all sons of God through faith. Uh, For as many of you uh, as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all uh, one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is, uh, he is the owner of everything. But he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. video man showed up. Um, We are in part six of our series, Sons and Daughters in Christ, and and, uh, this is, uh, you know, I I don't know if you noticed, but each week we've been building up through this extraordinary, um, Pastor Young and I, we we, we took a trip this week, and and I said something to him, I said, you know, as we've been meditating on this Galatians, I said, this is crazy profound. And he, he said, uh-huh. <laughs> that was his reaction, too. He says, it is. And I hope you have been feeling the depths of this, um, that there is something about the way we live our life which is stuck on the law and the rules. And the way this modern approach toward identity and I've, as I've shared, and I won't review all, all the things I've said in, in my past messages, but it's really stuck on performance. And it's really, our eyes are only set on the things we're supposed to do. And it's just, and it's really lonely. <laughs> it's not about a deep relationship with somebody else where you're given a deep love and a connection and something glorious and beautiful from this person who loves you. And then you don't just gain stuff, <laughs> You gain you. You really don't just gain stuff. You gain you. The fullness of who you're supposed to be. The fullness of who you're meant to be. And finally, in part six of this message, um, I I think I'm kind of... In in one way, it's not like I've I've kept this a secret from you. I mean, it's right there. It's right there in the passage. What's your identity? You're a son or a daughter. But like I've been teaching you, it's kind of strange. I know it's not strange. You're a daughter... But back then, being a daughter meant you were less than a son. 
because you didn't get the full inheritance. You, didn't, you weren't an heir of the glorious family business and everything that made the family beautiful. And that's why I gave you this message last week <laughs> using this. Um, I was very pleased to listen to Pastor Young. He, he apparently listens to my sermons and, <laughs> and um, remembered this uh, illustration from the movie Ramen Girl. Um, but let's get into it. Um, part six, sons, not orphans. Sons, not orphans. Um, uh, let's, I, I want to talk about this in three parts. Part one, the glory, well, entering the glory of the Father through the family business. I want to pick up where we left off last week because that's what, the, when we get to chapter four, there's an issue. There's an issue that there are some people who aren't ready. <laughs> They're not quite ready to embrace being an heir. And that's, uh, we're going to pick up on that. So part one, entering the glory of the father through the family business. Part two, adoption versus um, the orphan's blindness and distrust. So there's a, there's a difficulty in adoption. Adoption is one of the most beautiful things in the world. It's, and it's, uh, it's also spoken of. Adoption is at the core of the gospel. But there's something hard about it. And um, I see us not just in legal adoption that we have in our society, but that it's a, it's a metaphor for the most important adoption there is spiritual adoption under God. Right? Adoption versus the orphan's blindness and distrust. And part three, the heart of a son calling Abba Father. And that's what, what in a lot of ways, six parts of this series... And a lot of you can have the knowledge in your head of being a son or a daughter in Christ. But what we're trying to get you to is to have the heart. So that when you look at God, you don't just see his God. He's the creator. He's the judge. He has power. And, I have, and he, has, he has rules that I have to follow. But, but more than that, you can call him Abba. You can call him Father with a, a deep intimacy and an incredible security, the heart of a son, and embracing the inheritance and being an heir, the fullness of being a son. So let's get into this, part one, entering the glory of the Father through the family business. Um, let, let, let's see what it says here, chapter 4, verse 1. Um, you know, a quick you know, you know, comment. When you read the Bible, you know, if you, you know, most Bibles have all these verses and chapters uh, you should try this. Uh, there, there, are certain, there are certain websites where that takes all the, the verses and numbers out, okay? And you just read the text just as text. And I think it's very helpful if you do that. If you do 323 to 4-7, it's, it's, it looks weird. It looks like there's an interruption in the middle of the text when you see that big chapter 4 number. But that's wrong. <laughs> that's actually wrong. If you read the text the way it was actually written, there's no number. There's no verse number. Some, so a lot of the times the verse numbers are very helpful. But in this case, it's actually not helpful because it interrupts the flow of what it's saying. And it says this a very important thing um, back in verse um, three, chapter 3, verse 2. In Christ you are all sons of God through faith. But then there's a but. There's a but. Chapter 4, verse 1, there's a but, which is not... You know, like I said to you, it's not supposed to be an interruption. You know, it, we have this visual interruption, but it, there's a but in, in, in the flow of what's said. 
And um, it, the thought concludes at verse 7. You're no longer a slave but a son. But, so what's the, what's the but? The but is there are some people, well, as the, uh, well, let's just follow the text. I mean that the heir, that's the son. Not all sons and the daughters are not heirs. So as we goes back, only the first son is the biggest heir. I mean, all the sons are heirs, but the first son is the real serious heir. This is the way it works in this culture. And so there's, the Bible is purpose to call everyone, including women, this is, I know this is strange, including women, sons. Because it is that first son that has the full inheritance. And he gets to be an heir. And all children of God, women, men, um, rich, poor, Jew, Greek, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of status, get this great gift. But here it is. I mean that the heir, but there's an issue. As long as he is a child is no different from a slave. Okay, well, this is strange. Though he is the owner of everything. So there's, a, there's a one who is a son and is an heir. He actually owns everything. But when he's a child, he actually is more like a slave. That's weird, okay? Verse 2, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Let me unpack this. What is, this, what is he saying? Um, he's saying something good and kind, and he's also saying something kind of mean, and that's kind of bad news, okay? So on the, on the good and kind portion is... Look, if you have a five-year-old, or is, is, do, you, do you want the five-year-old running the family business? Because an heir is the owner of everything. And I want you to understand, in this society, and this is the picture, the owner of everything. We're not just talking about your money. You're talking about everything. <laughs> and and as, I ta- as I shared with you last week, an heir is a, has an inheritance. And an inheritance is not just money. It's the name it's the privileges, it's the right, it's the honor. It's also all the wisdom and the knowledge that has the, the beauty that the family offers to the world. And so as I, I sh- shared with you last week, uh, the Smiths family are, were what? They were the blacksmiths. They were the metal workers. The Millers were the mill workers. The Cohens were the priests. And each of them have a special knowledge, which, and they offer a blessing to the world, which is beautiful. It's so beautiful that I will call it glorious. Glory. And this is passed down from father to the heir, to the heir, to the son. But do you want a five-year-old trying to be, you know, walking into a blacksmith shop? (laughs) You know, if we have no blacksmith in the society, think about it. If there's no blacksmiths, wouldn't we, we'd all, we'd all starve. Think about that glory. But you can't have a five-year-old being in, and uh, running the blacksmith shop, or even an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old. As long as they're a child, what do they need? They need the law. They need it as a form of training. So that's in one sense. So the law is a guardian, and as I said to you, kind of a, like a babysitter. It's sort of like a tutor. In, the, in one sense, so um, as, you know, as it, throughout my seminary training, they talked about the law, and there's different uses of the law, and one is this that the law is intended to show us what is sin and what is righteousness. 
And if you can't be a righteous person, you can't be a worthy person, how can you receive the most important family business? And this is the most important family business there ever is and ever will be because it's the family business of God. And so how can you inherit this family business and own it? Well, you need some tutoring. That's what the guardian, the law, is supposed to set to do. And this is why in some ways, um, you know, we, we teach the gospel to our children when they're, you know, little kids. And, but they kind of don't, just don't get it. <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay because at, at a young age, what they really just need is first to be told, don't do that. Don't touch the oven. You know, things like that. Um, or how about something a little bit more advanced? Like when they decide they just want to do whatever the heck they want to do, or and then you say, don't do that, then you have to teach them not just do what I say, but you have to teach them the principle of obedience itself. I mean, um, when, when, when my son, I, I realized that terrible twos, I found out that when I, was an early, uh, when I was a very young father, I found out terrible twos don't start at two, at least not with Hudson. <laughs> it started more like at about a year and a half, and he decided that he could just do whatever he felt like. He just wandered around, and, I'd say, and then I would try to pull him to do something, and he knew that he's supposed to listen to this big person called his dad, but you know, I, he would just ignore me and just start doing And then I had to pull out this thing that we, I, I, you know, I, up to that point, I was like, when do you discipline? Because I'm, I'm a young and inexperienced father. When do you discipline? And I realized at least with him, it was about 18 months, okay? And so I, there, there was a, a book that I read called Shepherding a Child's Heart because you're not, you're not teaching, so you have to, there's rules. And one of, the, one of the principles of the law is understand obedience. It's not even just do what I say, but the principle of obedience itself. And so um, I, we set aside a wooden spoon, a specific wooden spoon that would be used only for this purpose, you know, not to be used as a spoon, but to be used as a, as a piece of discipline. And I pulled him aside, and I pulled down his pants, and right on the, the juicy part of his rear end, <laughs> I gave him a couple of whacks. You know, not, of course, not to hurt him, but, you know, he, of course he cried. It stings. The first one's not that bad, but the third one stings. After the three, it stings. And, and, and then he realized, whoa. It's like obedience matters. And then he, he started to obey, and then... About, and then after about two weeks or so, he kind of went back to, I just do whatever I felt, felt like. And so it, it was weird. It, was, it felt like a piece of, um, it, it felt like a piece of maintenance. It, it took, it, I, I actually started like counting this up. It's somewhere between 12 to 16 days. He started acting like a total, he, well, I mean, he wasn't trying to be a rebellious snob, but he would just have this sense of like, I'm, I own myself. This is all part of the tutelage of the law. And um, people who grow up with no law, you know, you have no conscience. And if you have no conscience, you know, you're not human. There, there's something that's going on in our, our, in our culture. That's, so one of the things that happens in our conscience is there's guilt. When you do something wrong, you, there's guilt that pricks your conscience. And sometimes really sears your conscience. I mean, you, you could feel it. It really hurts. And um, when you do something wrong and other people say you've done something wrong and everybody gets to see it, then we feel this thing called shame. You know why? It's all good. It's all good. Because it just means you're deeply human. 
Um, and, but in our culture, we hate this feeling. And it says our culture is so shallow, we think it's just feelings. If we have bad feelings, let's just deny that those feelings are real and that they're just somehow bad. They're like psychological hang-ups. And literally, our experts go around saying that guilt and shame are psychological hang-ups, and they're just mean and bad. Now, of course, they can, because we're sinful and wicked, we do use guilt and shame to try to oppress and do mean things and cruel things. Certainly, absolutely, that happens. But that doesn't mean guilt and shame itself are bad things. They're actually needed things. And if we don't have guilt and shame, guess what? You're, you're just a smart rat. You're not a human being at all, actually. You're subhuman. And so part of the law is good. In this sense, it's good because it trains us what is righteousness, what is really more like being a rat. Let's, let's, let, me, let, me, let me redefine sin for you, being a rat. You look like a human being, you act, and everybody visibly you sees you as a human, but actually inside you are a rat. That's sin. And isn't that a horrible thing? I hope you've considered that a horrible thing. And by the way, do you notice in our society there's a lot of rats? Oh my gosh. There's a lot of people, they look human, but they think and act and feel with no conscience like rats. And you notice... We're all, we all hate them, we fear them, and, and at times we have to lock them up. Because that's what has to happen to rats. And so that's part of the, the, what the guardian is needed for. But here's the other part of it too. If you only have the law, if you only have the law, you can't be fully human either. You can't be fully human either. Because the depths of what it means to be fully human is to enter into, in, into the family business of God into, and receive all the beauty of God. And only, so this is the way he puts it, if you only have the guardian, well, then you're just like a slave. <laughs> you're not really different than a slave. By the way, I don't want you to have a vision of a slave that's one vision of a slave, a very lowly vision, and we, we tend to think of like African Americans who were, you know, that's kind of our vision of the slave. But back then, a slave could have been a person who was really well-groomed and even really well-educated. A slave could have been a highly educated um, servant, person who, who runs and manages everything. So don't think of a slave as just a, a, a dirty, lowly person. Um, a, pers a slave could be is in many, many, many cases maybe smarter <laughs> and even more honorable than the son. And yet, here's, this is the important part. His relationship to the master is different. If the slave, let's say he's the top slave or the servant, he's really the manager. He's really, in one sense, the, he's the one until the son can really inherit the whole business. He runs the whole business. <laughs> He's, he runs the house. He handles all the money. He's utterly trusted by the master. But guess what? He can't call the master father. He can't go up to the father. And every time he has to enter, the, the son or the daughter can just run right into the daddy's office. <laughs> Jump right into his lap. But no way can the slave ever do that. And as long as the child is five or eight or even 15... If he's not ready, as long as he's a child, he actually really operates not different than a slave. That's what the passage is saying. 
And for many of us, until you can fully, really get this, your full identity, and then the heart of your identity that says this terrible thing in this passage, in the same way, when we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And what is that? And this is, what is the elementary principles of the world? It's what I've, I've been teaching you in those first few uh, messages of this series, which is that we're all just running and being crushed by the law. And I said to you in this first message that you can either feel that you're crushed by the law and running the treadmill of the law, or you, know, you can decide, I'm not going to follow the law of God, and I'm going to be the fall of the law of being a great athlete or being a great mom or being a great entrepreneur, but they have laws too, and they will crush you just the same. In fact, worse than the law of God. The law of God is actually a lot kinder than the laws of the idols of the things that... So those are the elementary principles of the world. Now, let me say um, just, just two things about this, this. There's two layers of meaning here. So what we're trying to do is you, there is a pathway to entering the Father's glory. There's, there, there's a tutelage, a learning, and you need the law. But if you stay in the law, you're stuck as a slave. Hmm? First, we can't be a rat. So the law must train us so that we can really, we can feel a guilt when we should. We can, it, and it stings us and it prods us to seek deeper righteousness and worthiness. Um, but if that's all where we stay at, it, we can feel it. It's a dark place. It's a lonely place. Now, there's two layers of meaning here. Number, um, the first one is, is, is a little bit more obvious, which is, I, will, I hope it's obvious to you, is in one sense just going from childhood to the full inheritance. Let's, let's, let me use a little bit different language. Going from being a baby Christian who thinks your identity is going to be based upon your money or your achievements or your performance, that's like being a child still under the law, under the guard, under the babysitter. Versus really becoming a more mature and full Christian and then you really embrace your deeper identity and you embrace the family business and you start receiving the inheritance and God starts giving it to you. You're ready for this. And you can know deep down and you want this. You want the inheritance. You want you want the sonship. So that's one. Just going from childishness to a deeper maturity. Going from identity where you're still looking at it from the world and from the law. Or receiving your full identity by grace. Grace through faith like Abraham. And then ultimately through Jesus. That's one, one layer of meaning. From childishness to fullness of identity and maturity. How about, about a second layer of meaning, which is, this is, and this, is, this, is, this is so incredible in the Bible. This is part of Paul. He's a bit of a convoluted writer, but it's partly in the convolution that he gives you this extra incredible layer of meaning, which is, this was all happening through history. The second layer of meaning is history, redemptive history. The salvation history in the Bible. And that God has been doing this. And I want, and I want to emphasize this. It started off with Abraham. And he didn't even have the law yet. And then he started saying, I will adopt your sons and daughters to be my sons and daughters. You get it? Your sons and daughters, Abraham, will be God's sons and daughters. 
You will have a family, but your family will become the ultimate everlasting family. And then there was a tutelage. That was Moses and the law. But they couldn't become having the full ultimate identity and the full family business until the most important heir came, and that is Jesus Christ. And now let me say this to you one more time. What is the family business? It was told to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And now the fullness of the family business has come. The family business is to become ultimately human. Which is to be ultimately divine. The family business is to make sons and daughters of God himself. That's the family business. From every nation from every tribe. This is strange. The family business is to make slaves and rats and lost people deep sons and give them the deepest name and the deepest honor and the ultimate glory, the beauty of God himself bestowed upon. That's the family business upon just total lost people and people back acting like rats and they don't know they were intended to be divine. And of course, we have a, a term for this. We call this the redemption of the whole world. This is a family business. It's a pretty important business, isn't it? And I hope you want to be a part of that business. Oh, I don't know how to be a part of that business, pastor. I'm not a pastor. No, it's not only for pastors. It's not only for pastors. So that's part one. Let's go to part two. Adoption versus the orphan's blindness. This is what he goes on to say. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law. All of that is redemptive history. Can you see it? You can see it. Because it's, it's a, when the fullness of time had come, God's, that's like, that's like a re, in that one verse, Paul runs through all of the Old Testament. Do you see that? Which fully culminates to Jesus Christ. And then he goes to this. To redeem those under the law, that's the family business, so that we might receive what? Adoption. Here, here are some of the blessings that you receive in this. Uh, you, one, you receive the full forgiveness of your sins. You are utterly justified from all the works. And so now under all the standard law, you're just. You're, you're declared just. You're declared good and righteous and good. Not based on what we did but only what Jesus did. That's justification. And then you get to start to change. This is, you go from being a child to a fullest identity. The term that the, the Bible calls this is called sanctification, being made more and more holy, being made more beautiful and glorious. I know that sometimes when you hear this term sanctification, people tend to think, like, I have to do the good, good work. It's like do-gooderism. That's it's strange. It's sort of like defining everything, not according to glory, and according to identity, but according to law. You notice how we go back, it constantly goes back to the law. Like our minds are like stuck in a cul-de-sac. It's like a CD that's just stuck. It's always constantly going back to the law. What's sanctification? For following the rules. No. <laughs> Let me tell you, if, you're, if that's where you're at, sanctif- you know, you're, um, you know, uh, you ever watch Star Wars? In Star Wars, they fly at a certain speed, but then they, they, they hit the hyperdrive and whoosh. You know, they hit light space. You know, light speed, 
Sanctification, if you're just on the law, you're still you're still in that place. But only when you full embrace your full identity by faith through grace, then you can jump to hyperspace, okay? That's where you just go to a whole other place. That's real sanctification. And um, and some, there's all these different pictures. Of, you know, what, what, do you notice that little girls, little girls want to dress like their, their mom? Or they see some beautiful woman, and then, then they start, then they realize, you know, they look at themselves, and they're like, I'm just a little girl. And then they realize, but one day I can wear those pumps. One day my hair could be this way. And you know, you know what they're looking for? That, this is something like the child to maturity. And that beauty, when the beauty ultimately flourishes in the, in the, in the full mature woman, that's sanctification. <laughs> Justification, sanctification. And, now, and then the third most incredibly glorious gift, promise in salvation itself is this, adoption. The full identity, the full rights, the inheritance, being an heir, and then the name, and then you get to call what no other slave gets to do. You get to call the big man, well, he's more than a man, obviously, God, Abba Father. And that's not a theory. Let me put it to you this way. Do you realize you and I are not, we, we, go, we know Jesus is the Son of God. Nobody else has the same place as him. On one level, that's absolutely true, right? And then his is a name above all names, so we honor him above all. And, of course, he deserves it, and nobody else deserves it. But let me put you to another way. Do you know that what he calls the Father is not different than what we call the Father? Do you realize that? That when God made human beings, you know what he was making? He was making another version of his son. And some are women, of course, so they're daughters. But he wanted one who would call him the same and have the same relationship, and have the same privileges, and he can call him the same thing that exactly he calls God. He doesn't call God God. He calls God Father. And that's adoption. <laughs> You're never a second. An adopted son or daughter is no second-class citizen. He has all the same exact level and privileges. Now, on one level... Theoretically, we get this, but we don't. We don't. And you and I, we're all adopted sons. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you can now call God, not God, Dad. But we don't tend to get it, and we tend to be stuck here all in the rules, and we're, we're, stuck. we're still stuck in the elementary principles enslaved to the world. Um, I've been giving you, um, you know, special movie illustrations. I gave you Karate Kid, <laughs> Daniel LaRusso, and, um, you know, Mr. Miyagi. As of, and then last week I gave you um, Abby and the Ramen Chef as Ramen Girl. And today I want to give you another one. Um, and have you seen the movie The Blind Side? The Blind Side? It's actually, uh, read the book. The book is better. And it's a true story. This is, it's even more beautiful because it's a true story. And um, there is a, the blind side is an extraordinary true story about um, uh, a young man named Michael Orr, O-H-E-R, Michael Orr. 
And Michael um, is, I, I forget, you know, he, he's a, he has multiple brothers and sisters or half brothers and sisters of, of, a, of, a, of a drug, a woman who was a drug addict. He never knew his father. So he was abandoned by his father. Michael is black and he's poor and he grew up in West Memphis. I think it's West. If I recall, West Memphis is poor and black. East Memphis is rich and white. Everyone supposedly is a Christian. They don't go to church. They all say they're Christians. And Michael's mom was a drug addict. And because she was a drug addict, all her children were taken away from her. Because obviously, you know, it's dangerous for children. And they were all taken away from her. And his father abandoned him. And she was a drug addict. And he, um, and then over time, all the sons and daughters, they kind of ran away from their foster home. So Michael was homeless. And as the story opens up in the book, it's, uh, it's The Blind Side by Michael Lewis, one of my favorite writers. He's uh, sleeping on the floor of, uh, of a, uh, one of his friends. So, he, you know, he, he's, he's a kid. <laughs> I mean, he's a teen. I think by this point, he's a teenager. He was a kid, and then he's been kind of, he would sleep on this friend's boy. And, he, and his, his schooling is, of course, terrible. He's, uh, he's failing out of school. Then, and, of course, he doesn't care about school. He has no father or mother to, to train him. And he's a teenager at this point, and he's huge. And apparently, Michael's incredibly physically gifted. And what, what the movie is, is getting at is that Michael has basketball skills. He has basketball feet, but he has offensive lineman physical size. I mean, he's like this, he's this monstrous guy. He's pushing 300 pounds, but can move like a basketball player. How do you like that? But I don't know if you know this. All around the colleges today, and the NFL are looking for this incredibly special, gifted, physical athlete. And Michael fit that incredibly well. But anyway, he doesn't know that he has inc this incredible beauty and glory inside of him. He's just an abandoned orphan, a poor, abandoned orphan. And while he's sleeping on the floor of one of his friends, the father of that friend decides that he's sick of sending his son into the local school which is dangerous and terrible. And so the father gets this idea, and he takes his son, and then he also says, well, let's take this other kid too, Michael. And he takes this other kid, and he takes him to this rich, white, private school, this Christian, rich, private school on the other side of town, and says, can you help? Can you get this kid in this school? And they actually have a scholarship fund, and miraculously, that school accepts both his son and Michael into the school, into the private school. But can you imagine? Michael starts going to the school. He only has like two sets of clothes. And how he must stick out there. They started calling him Big Mike, and he, which is a nickname he hated. And then something wonderful started to happen. There was a man who um, also sent his, his children to that school. He had a daughter in that school. And he was a rich man. His name was Sean Tui. And Sean, too, is a legendary athlete in that area. He was a basketball star in college. And then he blew out his knee, didn't get quite get to make it in the, in the NBA. And, um, but because he was so well-liked, and you know, he was able to build up a business, and he owned a series of Taco Bells. So well, this guy is like rich. He owns all these Taco Bells. 
But he doesn't want to run. This is, he doesn't, he's not interested in running Taco Bells. What he, does, what he does is he announces local basketball games, and then he kind of has a side project that he likes to do, which is to look out for the young athletes and help them get to the next level, especially the ones that don't have good dads. And he started to notice Big Mike. And he started to help him out. And one day, his, mom, his wife, his name's Sean Tui, you know, was at the school and she said, who's that? And then she said, well, that's Big Mike. And he said, who's Big Mike? And his wife's name is Leanne Tui. And Leanne Tui started taking a, a special interest in Michael Orr. And as the story moves, they, then she finds out that he has no clothes, so then she gets some clothes. Um, she, she, you know how, how she has to get him clothes? She calls up a connection she has with the Washington Redskins. She, she actually takes him to this tailor shop. He gets all the measurements up. And then she goes, who has clothes this bag? There's no clothes anywhere. So then she calls up um, a connection she has on the you know, professional football team, the Washington Redskins. Do you have anybody who's got this clothes size? And this is the crazy part. None of the Washington Redskins had his clothes size. So then she had to have his clothes specially made. And then she took him into their house. And then they started to, they decided that they were going to take him in. And they adopt him. But first, when they take him to his house, the, if you watch the movie, this is, it's a beautiful portion of the movie. There's a sequence where she gets, uh, he says, he, he makes the bed neatly. And Leanne, his mother now, She's really pleased, and he says, thank you, I've never had one. She goes, what, you never had what? You never had like a, you know, this kind of pajamas? He goes, no, I've never had a bed that's my own. And then she walks to the next room, and she starts to weep. <laughs> starts to weep as she looks at her boy and realized, this is my boy. And, but there's a sequence. He's a son, but he has no idea how to be a son. And there's a story, it doesn't come up in the movie, he, um, you know, he, he actually has a, he has a sister, you know, he has a white sister, I think he's like, a, she's a year older, and she's, you know, she's, uh, like, she's a cheerleader, and she's popular, and I think she gets prom queen, and all this other kind of stuff. And then they also, the Tuis also have another young son, and Michael and that young son play video games, and then they, they watch football, and they hang out together, and they laugh, and Michael is a good older brother to their little boy, to their youngest son. Sean Jr., they call him S.J. And S.J. and Michael go to their fathers. <laughs> they, 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 they can walk right into Taco Bell. Wouldn't this be great? They walk into Taco Bell and says, I want this. Give me the chalupas. <laughs> Give me the tacos. And, and some cinnamon crisps. And then, oh, and get whatever you want. And so Michael, all his life, he would, he, sometimes he'd be on the street. Sometimes he'd at somebody's house. And he'd be hungry. And any time he was given food, you know, what would he do? He would add extra food and pack it away because he never knew if he was going to be sleeping on the streets and where he'd get his next meal. But so he and SJ would go in, and SJ would, of course, just get whatever he wanted. And then Michael would get what he wanted and then some. <laughs> he would get tons of food. And then he would bring it home. And he would sock it away in the closet. And when Leanne would go into the room to make sure everything's go she would find extra tacos 
that Michael had hidden away in the closet. Why? Because legally, and actually in all his, everything was done. He's in, he's in this richest house. He has his own bed. He has great pajamas. He has these incredible tutors that are helping him through school. And, and now he can walk right into his father's Taco Bell and get whatever he wants for free. Isn't that incredible? And yet, in his mind and his heart, he's still a lost orphan. And I only, have to de- I only have me. I only have to depend on myself. And whenever he gets something, he socks it away. And Leanne, his mother, would see the extra tacos and burritos in the closet, and she would realize he's still scared, still doesn't have the heart and trust that he's my son. And I want to close this message. Michael, for a time, he was adopted. And there was a, they, they, of course, had to, they were on the process. And they took him in. They treated him as a son. They loved him as a son. And then they adopted him so he utterly had the name and every privilege and every riches and even the love of a son. And he didn't even have the, the rules. He didn't even know the rules. He wasn't even tutored very well. So he was, it was actually bad. He didn't know that you're, you're not supposed to sock away you know, old tacos that would go bad in the closet. That that's against the rules of the house, actually, because it causes problems. He didn't even know that. And that's how most of us are. We believe in Jesus. And... Doctrinally, we believe that we're adopted as sons, that Jesus Christ did this thing for us. <laughs> and, but we don't know how to have the heart of Christ. We don't have his heart. Do you know that the Son of God, he didn't just come so that you could be forgiven. He didn't just come so that you can go from ugly to beautiful, sanctification. He didn't just come so you can just have the status of being a son or even to just receive the family business. He came. So right here where it says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son so that the fullness of God, as I said to you, in order to really be a son, the spirit lives in you. And then the son says the spirit of the son. And he says only what the son can say. Abba, Dad. You can call him Dad. And that way, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's why Jesus came. Um, you know, there's, a, there's three verses in the Bible. There's three verses in the Bible that says the same thing about Abba, Father. This is one. These three verses, they're all worth memorizing. They're the most incredible, they're some of the most incredible verses. Abba, Father. Abba is like Appa. That's Korean for daddy. You know, there's like, you know, you guys, every language probably has a father, a formalistic way of talking to you, your father, you know, which emphasizes his authority and his office and his position. And then there's Papa. 
There's Papa. Pa. It's just that deep, deep. And it's not, it's, some people go, oh, that's cute. It's not cute. It's better than cute. It's the deepest, most secure love, intimacy. It's the only one that can have the full everything. And um, Romans 8, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. It's those who can say Abba, or all the fear can be gone. For you have received the spirit, the Holy Spirit of adoption. And then from now on, I hope when you think of the Holy Spirit, not as this kind of like fuzzy-wuzzy, invisible person out there or even a force, but he's the person of God that lets you have your fullest identity. By whom we cry, Abba, Romans 8, 15. The other place is Mark 14. Jesus said, and before he goes to the cross, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Mark 14, 36. Do you notice what Jesus says when he has the most deepest, most intense prayer? This is the prayer before he goes to the cross. He calls God what? Abba, Father. And the scriptures here, this Galatians 4 says, you and I can call God the same thing. Not less than Jesus. Not less than the Son. You and I can become co-heirs. This is what it means to be a co-heir with Christ. You get everything like him. The deepest intimacy. No angel. No servant. Other servant, no matter how great they are, he has to call God this, except Jesus and you and me. This is your identity. This is the good news. Let's pray. Father, your house, your church is filled with adopted sons and daughters. For that we praise you. But we also pray there's so many adopted sons and daughters and they're just like Michael Orr. They're in our church too and they're some of us. We act like orphans and we're hoarding our tacos and burritos because we think this is what's valuable. (laughs) My money, I have to hoard my money. (laughs) My name, I must hoard my name. My, 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 My power, I must hoard my power. When in your house, what is a taco? What is money? When we are the owner of everything, the inheritor of everything, because because we have the most important, the most incredible relationship, the relationship which was from eternity. It wasn't a relationship that's just from history. The Son of God called you Abba. And he came into history so that we, who often act like rats and think and feel like orphans and run around in disobedience and 
break the laws all the time, and we have no clue how to be your sons and daughters, even though we are. The Son, He endured the cross so that all our shame and all our guilt and all our orphan distrust and lostness, all the ways that we hoard our worthless little tacos and burritos, the tacos and burritos of the world, so we can finally give these things up. The cross can take them away. And the Son could give us something so much more. His name. His inheritance. Only way, like He does, that we can call you Abba. Help us to believe this. We believe this, but we don't believe this. Help our unbelief. Would you pour out your spirit and pour out faith so we can be made whole, not orphans, but sons of the Most High, like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's worship our Father and love him.